Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Truth Radio, episode 434 Recording on Monday, July 25th, we are going to talk about USC's preseason hype going into the 2022 season, along with talking about some breaking podcast news here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Rain of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Rain of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you can find a podcast. We are there. Our email address is Troy at fanside.com and our phone number is... 213-373-1USC. Suck it, Westburn Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joining with my co-host here in the Reign of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff on this episode. Preseason hype, as I mentioned before, but a bunch of podcast news that I'm excited for. I know you're excited for, Alicia, but really, let, let's be honest, this is sort of like... I know we. This is a bit that we used to do, and you know, years past. But this is sort of like the first podcast of the season. Pac-12 Media Day is coming up on Friday. This kind of feel like Pac-12 Media Day is the unofficial start of the season. This is going to be the first podcast, really, of this season in the sense that I'm I'm dead serious. We're not going to miss an episode like until January, probably. From here on out, which means like this is basically the first podcast of the 2022 season, sort of, unofficially, kind of. No sleep till Vegas? No, till 
Where's the... No, I'm not even going to bring up the, the title game where it is. No sleep till Brooklyn. I don't know if we're going to Brooklyn, but... What's in Brooklyn? The the Nets. I don't know. No sleep till Brooklyn. You don't know that? I don't oh, know what okay. that is. So the the people out there will get uh will get this reference that <laughs> utterly crashed and burned and failed, but that's apparently, fine. <laughs> apparently, yeah. This we we we're back for real. Um, why are we back for real? Because, ladies and gentlemen, just get into it. The big podcast news. We are pivoting to video in the in the uh, style of Fox Sports. Infamously, Circa, what? 2014 or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. When pivoting to video Ho- was the thing. Hopefully, more successful. Hopefully, um, we we can only hope. We we are pivoting to video. You will now be able to watch us podcast starting next week on the YouTube.com. The YouTube.com. You yeah. Ohio stating this? Sure. Like the YouTube.com. The YouTube, which is at YouTube.com. Yes. Go over there, Reign of Troy Radio, search it, find us, follow us, subscribe to us, hit the hit the notification bell, all of those things. Uh, starting next week, every Monday at 5 p.m., we will be going live to record our weekly episode. Which means the good news for, for all of our listeners is we're going to have regular podcasts again. Yeah. Because now we're on a calendar. And we're using using software that requires us to follow through on that calendar. It's exciting. Yeah. Mondays at five p.m. on the YouTube. Uh, you can you can check us out and watch us live. Engage with us live. Leave your comments. We'll re- respond during the show as long as it's something nice and productive and encouraging and all those things. Um, yeah, we're we're getting our our tunnel vision on. Uh, and the, the best part about this is if you listen to us the old-fashioned way on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever, uh, nothing's changing for you. You're going to get the same thing, the same exact thing. We're going to record our episodes. Uh, they will be live on YouTube. And then as soon as we're done with that, we will uh, export the audio and put them right online like we normally do. So it's the best of both worlds. You're going to get everything. And then once the season starts in September, we are going to pivot to our classic three-episode-per-week schedule, a fallout episode early in the week, a preview episode towards the end of the week, and the classic, everyone's favorite, car cast, Saturday nights after games. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be full bore as normal during the during the season, and I know that uh, I personally love our schedule during the season. I love car casting, and this will be a new way that we're going to do it. So it's very, very exciting. So just keep an eye out for the the link that we'll put in the description and on all of our stuff for the podcast uh, so that you can find it. We'll tweet it out and put it up on uh, on Facebook or wherever ahead of time so that people can uh, can get there. You should be able to just bookmark it, I think, is how this will work. Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe, and then you'll you'll get notified at any time that uh, that we're going live. And uh, yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, we look forward to that and seeing you guys next week, Monday, August first, will be our first uh, video version of the podcast. So super excited about that! Thanks. A lot of stuff has been going off in the uh, in in the behind the scenes 
portion of the of the podcast that we've been doing to to get ready for that. So um, excited for that. Look forward to that. Um, and as always, again, you can just listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and everywhere else. Uh, and leave reviews for us. Like we have two new reviews over on Apple Podcasts. First one, Joe Mallon says five stars. A super USC and college football podcast. This show is a good penny. It somehow shows up just when I need a warm smile mixed in with some solid fo- football updates. Keep at it, guys. Thank you, Joe. That's I, I love that description. And uh, and uh, sadly, th- this year we haven't been showing up quite as often, but we're going to keep you uh, supplied with warm smiles on a more regular basis this, this August as we go through it. And September and October. Yeah. November and December. The season has just begun. Uh, next one. Scaramouche. Well, they gave us one star. One star. They hate us. Mm. Can't stand us. Uh, preseason form, it says. I know the pod has been off for some time, but what happened to Michael? He repeats himself in ad-libbing transitions throughout his soliloquies, never completes a coherent thought, doesn't let Alicia speak. While Alicia is able to articulate her thoughts without rambling like Michael, she now lets him ramble on forever without shutting him down like she used to. I still like you guys. It's just unlistenable the last few episodes. I, I guess hence the one-star review. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe we are out of practice. Well, okay. Full disclosure, last episode, major editing mistake from me. Yeah, there was, was um, a, some cuts that didn't get cut they were, in the best way possible. It was probably my worst editing, editing job in like years. And um, so if I was rambling or repeating myself, I, probably because I literally was because I screwed up the cuts. Yeah, there were there were some false starts and some re-recorded sections. And I think that they didn't like they both sets of or two or three sets of re-records got left yeah, in. So, yeah, I don't know. Not, uh, not, not the best. Maybe one. the editing is in preseason form. Maybe we're in preseason form. Um, but this is all the more reason to listen to us live. Yeah, well, th- this is going to be the fun part. We're going to be just rolling with it and having to roll with the punches. So hopefully, Scaramouche, we can get uh, that one star back up to a five star. So mm, keep listening. Yeah. Hopefully. Mm. And, and if you guys are listening at home and also want to review us, you always can do so. Uh, with Apple Podcasts, we'll read every review on the air. Uh, Lizzie, a lot of stuff has been going down, a lot of news, so let's get into the latest USC news up next. All right, Alicia, let's get into the news. Start with commitments. SC got a big one. On Monday, here's we record this from three-star offensive lineman Micah Benuelos. He's a three-star in the 24/7 Sports composite, but a four-star by 24/7 Sports themselves. Uh, on the composite side, 824th nationally ranked recruit, the 59th interior offensive lineman, and the number ninth recruit in the state of Washington. He picks the Trojans over Oregon and Texas A&M, uh, where Coach Hansen came from. Yeah, this okay. This one's really interesting. Um, the composite ranking might change drastically uh, shortly. I don't know how long it'll take, but it's going to change big time because uh, I had seen somebody mention that 
the composite doesn't make sense relative to the 24-7 sports ranking. They have him get they have him at a 90, which is a four-star recruit, the 13th inside outside inside offensive lineman in the country compared to fifth 59th. And it's like, well, why is there such a disconnect there? And it looks like it's because ESPN does not have him rated for some reason. And it's not particularly clear. Um, maybe they just, you know, ESPN is not the best of the uh, of the recruit recruiting rankings. So it could be that that's just an oversight on their part. But he is apparently much closer to a four star than the three star 824th national sort of recruit as an interior guy, maybe even a, a, a center. And I think it's telling that, you know, this isn't a guy that USC is beating out Duke for. Like, this is a guy that USC is beating out Adrian Clem from Oregon and Texas A&M was after this guy too. So I think that's, that's bodes well. Uh, if nothing else, USC just needs offensive linemen, just straight up needs offensive linemen. So it's a huge get in that sense, especially because, you know, he's got crystal balls to Oregon in the 24-7 sports uh, uh, predictions. So USC beat out a, for now, conference rival uh, that they've lost out to quite a few uh, offensive linemen to. So I think this is a, a, a nice addition and one that fans can get excited about, even if, you know, even if you're quick to write off the three-star offensive lineman sort of headline there, there's some more to it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, Benuelos comes from... Washington, which is, you know, it's, you mentioned Oregon being a conference foe for now. Yeah, and same thing as Washington. I mean, SC has gotten so many recruits from Washington over the years. It's crazy to think that it soon will no longer be a, a conference uh, rival conference rival state. Yeah, yeah, it'll just be a state mm-hmm. in the union. Uh, next one, four-star linebacker Tackett Curtis from Louisiana, the number 89 recruit in the 24-7 sports composite. The fifth-rated linebacker, the sixth-rated recruit in Louisiana, plays safety, running back, kick returner in high school, but he's going to be recruited as a middle linebacker. At least some people are comparing him to Matt Grudegood. Is that right? That's some high praise. That's that's the kind of uh, football player he is. And I think that's why people are so excited about him, is it's not just that he's obviously a good athlete, um, he's he's a legit top 100 prospect, but everybody who's seen him play, who's interacted with him, everybody raves about his approach to the game. He's out there to hit people. He's out there to be physical. He he plays running back like a defender. He plays safety, but like one of those safeties that's like on a high school team where it's just go out and tackle the guy who has the ball. So he had 103 tackles, 12.5 tackles for loss, a fumble re- recovery and an interception in 2021 as like a just sort of safety who's just you just have to make the plays uh so there's a lot to be excited about with Tackett Curtis uh I continually laugh when I see him because he's from many Louisiana many there's a few just you know one of many in Louisiana um but yeah legitimately a really strong get for the linebacker core especially at a position like middle linebacker, that USC is going to have to continue to find really good athletes to play that position uh, quick uh, because, you know, Shane Lee is not going to, Shane Lee is a a rental basically. So they need to get guys in who can play that spot. And Tackett Curtis brings everything you could want. Yeah, 6'2", 218. So he's a bit on the smaller side, but it'd be interesting to see 
how he fits into things going forward. SC did get him over future conference rivals, Ohio State and Wisconsin. Yeah, and another one where it's a recruiting battle that USC beat out some other big name programs. And you always like to see that. Uh, that means that the guys at Ohio State are evaluating him and thinking he's a guy that we want. So he's a guy that USC should want to. And last thing to touch on with the news, Sporting News has Jordan Addison and Andrew Voorhees as first team All-Americans for 2022. Uh, Jordan Addison, no brainer. The dude won the Bolitnikoff last year as a wide receiver at Pitt. Andrew Voorhees, the interesting one, uh, Pro Football Focus has him as the top-rated interior lineman coming back in 2022. And here we go with the sporting news, uh, putting him as a first-team All-American. Find somebody who loves you the way Pro Football Focus loves Andrew Voorhees. Like, I'm not saying they're wrong, but, like, Pro Football Focus, Focus loves it's like every other Andrew post Voorhees. Is about him, yeah. yeah, it's just every day there's a, a tweet from PFF, Andrew Voorhees, which is, is fun because that's a, a little bit... Um, whenever I, ha- I have worries about USC, uh, the offensive line is obviously one of those areas of worry. Not because the, the top five linemen can't get the job done. I think they can be fine. It's that... There's very, very little wiggle room behind them. But if you can keep Andrew Voorhees healthy for the year, if Brett Nealon can sort of build off of last season, I think that you have a pretty solid foundation to work with on the offensive line. And, uh, you know, we'll see if Andrew Voorhees is able to live up to those expectations as an All-American type uh, type inside, inside lineman. But you don't even need him to be that good. You just need him to be sort of the one leading the way for the line to to give some st- stability to an offense that has no shortage of playmakers at this point, i.e. Jordan Addison, i.e. Travis Dye, i.e. you know, all of the above. Yeah, 100%. And he gives you so much experience. I mean, he's been around since 2017, started as a freshman. I, I think him starting as a freshman and being around that long really makes him feel like he's been around here forever. But mm-hmm. this is year six already. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, we're still in this phase of like the the COVID guys, the 2020 guys who are just like, oh, they still have another year of eligibility. And Andrew Voorhees in particular has had a an interesting road, right? He comes in and starts as a freshman and it's like, oh, damn, like this kid, especially because he was the, I think, least highly ranked of the offensive linemen USC brought in that class. Yeah. And he was the one who started immediately. And I was like, oh, cool. This is great. And then the offensive line just sort of dropped off a cliff and he was part of those offensive lines for a couple years. And it just, he, I don't know. He dealt with some injuries. Everyone was dealing with injuries. It just didn't look like he was that same promising guy that he had been as a freshman. And so it's nice to see him sort of come around and, and get these kinds of accolades because he did, he did good work last year. Like, I think that there's, there's uh, some positivity to, to be gleaned from, from having his presence and from, you know, I think Brett Nealon came up much better, much, much better last year. Um, my concerns on USC's offensive line are definitely not in the interior. I think the interior is going to be fine. It's the the big questions on the uh, the tackle spots that uh, if, if USC had a tackle who was getting first team All-American nods from people preseason, I'd feel quite a bit better. But at least there's somebody in there. Yeah, you got to work on the tackles. But as long as you have that those stalwarts in the middle with uh, Voorhees and Elon and and everyone there, I think that that's a very good start to the offensive line, especially when you're breaking in a new offense, you're breaking in a new offensive line coach uh, and all that. New running backs, even if they're experienced like Travis Dye and, 
and and so on. But let's get into the big topic, the big topic at hand. Uh, we were going to talk about this in the news segment, and then we just kept talking about it uh, in our rundown, that it's become its own sort of thing. USC suddenly is the most popular bet to win the CFP championship at a Las Vegas sportsbook per ESPN. Uh, they're now the fifth best odds to win the national title. Um, Alicia, how crazy is that to hear? Just on, like, in of itself. I mean, it's, it's crazy because there are a lot of people who don't know much about this USC team, is what, is what I'm learning. So at, the, at that sports book, it was they had the most number of betters coming in on them. Uh, and then the most amount of money coming in on them. I think it was a uh, uh, Westgate or something like that. But it, it's I listen. I am not going to rule out a college football championship run for this team. It would it would not be an impossible feat uh, when when you bring in the transfers that USC has brought in. When you bring in Lincoln Riley, like am I saying it's impossible? No, absolutely. Like that would obviously be the best case scenario. I would love to to watch that that happen. But I still keep, and, and I'm a broken record on this, and I apologize for saying it just constantly. It's just every time I look up in Raina Troy's mentions from other people, when I have like a tweet deck uh, thread that's all just mentions of USC on, on Twitter, and it's just constantly people talking up USC as like a championship contender. And I will believe they're a championship contender when I see them, you know, get through eight games and still be 8-0. Like... And even then, I'll believe they're a championship contender when they're undefeated and go into the Pac-12 title game and blow the socks off of Oregon or something like that. And even then, I still wouldn't bet on a USC team in this in this sort of year one function that could go up against Nick Saban's Alabama, that could go up against Kirby Smart's Georgia, that could go up against Urban, uh, Urban Myers, um, Ryan Day's Ohio State. Like, you just have to be realistic about college football championship capability doesn't just mean winning all of your games against a weak Pac-12, which I still don't think is going to be in the cards. Um, it means going up against the big, big boys, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson. I'm not even, I don't know, you know who knows Clemson, but you know, there's a lot of teams out there who have been way more established, are way more set up in the trenches, who have you know, the, the coaches have been around long enough to build championship mindsets in those teams. I, I think this is insane. I just think people are insane and they're not thinking about the fact that USC has very little depth on the offensive or defensive line. They don't have dominant defensive players that you can point to and say, like, we can be surprised if people come out and become dominant defensive players. But is there a dominant defensive player that you can say 100% has already proven themselves to be dominated on this defense, dominant on this defense? There is not. So no, I think people expect Kalen Bullock to take a huge step forward. Kalen Bullock continue to be yeah solid after last year, but no, I don't think there's there's anything for sure about this defense outside of knowing that they're going to be the potential. Uh, yeah, the, sure, there's potential there. Um, Corey Foreman's on this team, right? Yeah. Like, there, surely there's potential when you look at the the recruits that SC has. But they also they had the number one recruit from last year's recruiting class in Corey Foreman. But they don't have a wave after wave after wave 
of five-star athlete all over the roster on defense. And this isn't a defense like, say, from a couple years ago, 2020, where they had um, uh, Hufanga back there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had everyone on the, on the offensive line. Uh, you had both two Pelotu brothers at one point. Like, this isn't that same team either. Um, I There's no Leonard I, Williams on this team. And short of there being a Leonard Williams on the team, I'm not sure how you contend with the 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 right. title contenders. Yeah, I think I think this year is going to be very fun to watch. I think yes. it's going to oh, be yes. uh in, enjoyable from the USC perspective. I think they're going to be considerably better than they were last year and so on because they will presumably, we all assume, be better coached, right? And on defense, I have a lot of, you know, praise and have said a lot of things about Alex Grinch and I think that he's a very good defensive coordinator and I want to see what he does in the Pac-12, especially when he was very good at Washington State with, and I don't mean to besmirch the great state of Washington State, <laughs> but, you know, he's going to have better talent at SC than he had on a lot of those teams up at Washington State, even though, you know, they had, uh, what was it, uh, Hercules Mata'afa, who was just incredible. I don't think there's a Hercules Mata'afa on this team. That's the other but there, thing. But there's players who can who can play at that level if they fulfill their potential see someone like a Corey, Corey Foreman, Foreman, right? Yeah. So there's there's dudes on this team. You just need to see it. You like, need to, you need to see it. the defense come together. You need to see the defense come you know, Shane Lee was a was a great player for Alabama a few years ago. He's had injuries. He's he fell down the depth chart and all that stuff. He needs to prove himself, right? There's a bunch of guys that just need to prove themselves. That's what this defense is. And I'm excited to let them do that. I really yeah, am. There's a, there's plenty of opportunity, and there's a bunch of intriguing guys to watch on the defense. It's just a matter of seeing it all come together. So, no, I think, you know, it's ridiculous to say that they're going to win a, a, a national championship in year one. And Not just to say it, but to put money on it. it, it okay. Would I put five bucks on it? Oh, sure. sure. Yeah. If, if I was in Vegas and had five bucks on me, Sure. Whatever. Is it going to be my bet on who wins the national title? Hell no. 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 No, yeah. no, no. no. <laughs> uh, and, and in doing so, we were talking about this, and we, we said, what, what about year one and recent history? Uh, and so you gave me the prompt to do some research of looking up other coaches throughout the country and looking at what their year one was like at their current school. I, I took four coaches that I thought would make the most sense to look at because not all of the the one not all the coaches in the in the country really compare to uh, the situation that Lincoln Riley has. Uh, for instance, you can't look at Dabo Sweeney because he was uh, an interim hire. Well, Lincoln Riley is not an interim guy. You can't look at Chip Kelly at Oregon because he was an interim. I mean, not an interim, but he was from within. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma was from within. He was a promotion from the offensive coordinator position, right? So it's about finding someone from the outside taking over a power that was, you know, a, a powerhouse program that was sort of down on their luck. So I looked at it. I think there's four examples to look at that are the closest to what Lincoln Riley has right now. I'm going to walk over it one by one, and then I want your thoughts, Alicia. Okay. Nick Saban in Alabama. In year one, he inherits the team, by the way, who went six and seven with an Independence Bowl loss to Oklahoma State in the year 2006. 
Mike Shula's team. Uh, and in 2007, they go seven and six. They start six and two. They have a good loss, quote unquote, good loss to number three LSU at home by seven. You got to feel good about Alabama at that time, but then they lose to Louisiana Monroe at home by a touchdown. Uh, they lose three games on the bounce before an Independence Bowl win over Colorado. They finish seven and six. Uh, year two, they go twelve and two. Start out twelve and zero and win a national championship in year three at fourteen and zero. I think it's it's worth noting since we're we're doing this exercise as a comparison for what to expect or what to look for with Lincoln Riley in year one. Losses to Louisiana Monroe at home happen. Like even yeah. in years later, but like year one is when your threat of losing those that kind of a game is at its highest. So right. remember that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Though we get to the second guy, Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Year one, he went twelve and zero, twelve and zero on a bowl ban. Uh, he was taking over for a team that was six and seven with Luke Fickle at the helm. Mind you, that was the Ohio State. Uh, Tattoo Gate team that from two years before the the 2010 team they went 12 and one uh you know n- nearly was a national title contender ended up going to the Cotton Bowl and beating Arkansas uh and they end up um getting rid of Jim Tressel Fickle takes over in and they May. go six and seven yeah Tressel is ousted in May so this is mid off season just after spring camp that the head coach gets. Next, and then they install an interim, Luke Fickle, who obviously was a good coach. He, he has become a good coach. But when you're under circumstances like that, that's what ha- you go six and seven. Like, this yeah. is what happens. Right. Yeah. And there, there were a bunch of players but, who were suspended. Terrell Pryor was suspended. But that was a that was a, a, a program that was a 12 win program. Yes. That, that Urban Meyer took over. Yeah. Uh, essentially, the 2011 team was an aberration. Yes, uh, it was 12. If you take that out, they go 12 and one, 12 and 0, 12 and two, 14 and one. Uh, because in year two and three under Urban Meyer, they go 12 and two with an Orange Bowl loss, and then 14 and one in year three with a national championship win. Very similar to Nick Saban, who went 12 and two uh, with a b- big bowl game loss in year two and a 14 win national championship season in year three. Uh, now compare that to Bob Stoops uh, at Oklahoma. Obviously, Bob Stoops currently retired out of college football now, but he takes over an Oklahoma team that was terrible in the the mid to late nineties. His year one in nineteen ninety nine, he goes seven and five. A year after the Sooners were five and six. Year two, thirteen and zero, national champs. Well, let's talk about Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly takes over a Notre Dame team. Sort of left for dead by Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss comes in, has the game in 2005, the greatest loss in Notre Dame history. Hmm. Uh, He immediately gets like a 10-year deal or whatever it was um, just for losing to SC close. And all of that, they go to a couple of uh, BCS Bowls, the Fiesta Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I believe they lose both of those games, so Ohio State and LSU. Um but the last three years for Charlie Weiss are three and nine, seven and six, six and six. He gets fired after 2009. In comes Brian Kelly from Cincinnati, who is dominant. The dude wins national titles at Division II, Grand Valley State. He goes to the MAC, dominates the MAC with Central Michigan, 
dominates uh was it conference usa at the time with with cincinnati just is incredibly good was it were they in the big east i can't remember i believe so uh dominant team right and then he goes to notre dame and his first two years goes eight and five year one in 2010 he starts out one and three including a 23 point loss to number 16 stanford that looks bad but they win their final four games of year one including a 25-point win over number 15, Utah. They beat Miami by, you know, uh, 33-17 in the Sun Bowl. They're feeling good in going into year two. They do the same thing in year two, essentially. Eight and five, they were eight and three going into the last game of the season uh, at number four, Stanford, and they lose in 2011 to a damn good Stanford team that should have won the national title, if you ask me. Um, but they go eight and five, back-to-back seasons. Before year three, they go 12-1. and They were 12-0, and went to the national title game, and get destroyed by Alabama. By Alabama. And that's that's a, a occupational hazard when you're playing Alabama, to be fair. Yes. I'm not Brian Kelly's <laughs> biggest fan, but, like, that that title game loss is yeah. just what happens when you play Alabama. Yeah. It, it, um, it's just what happened. But that, that, yeah. to me, that Brian Kelly year, the year one, I think is the most... Probably the most um, representative of what to expect from Lincoln Riley in year one. Where you might start off slow, but you get hot as the year goes on and like you you see everything come together. Why? Because it's got a lot of parallels to Pete Carroll. And I'm not saying like I don't want to always bring up the Pete Carroll era because we need to stop using that as a comparison for everything <laughs> because it yeah. it is annoying argumentatively. Um, but look at Pete Carroll year one comes in 2001. Obviously he takes over for the Paul Hackett era, which finishes at five and seven in the year 2000 and 98 went eight and five and 99 went six and six, right? Well, Pete starts out two and four, losing those four games by a total of 14 points, then loses to Notre Dame by 11, which is the biggest loss in Pete Carroll's lifetime at USC all the way up until 2009. Which is crazy to think, right? Insane. That it took that long to lose another game by double digits. But down the stretch, they win four or five, including a 27-0 win over number 20 UCLA. Year two, they carry that momentum in uh, to go 11-2, and including eight straight wins to finish the season, to win the Orange Bowl. Momentum that he's carried right on through to to, uh, to 2003, where they go 12-1 and to win the national championship. So I think looking at this, my prevailing thought that on the surface is a, none of these truly compare to Lincoln Riley because for one, uh, like this is truly an incomparable time when Mm -hmm. things like the transfer portal exist. We're still seeing heavy impacts of COVID and what the COVID season has done on the roster. I mean, case in point, I mean, Look at Andrew Voorhees. We're talking about a year six guy um, who gets year six easily. He would have had to like really try for to have that six year. Uh, and I don't even know if he would have gotten that six year if it wasn't for COVID, right? Like with medical injuries and all that stuff. Like every COVID has changed how the roster goes. And with the transfer portal, everything is in and out and, and so many different changes. The Pac-12 is in a you know different setup than any of these other coaches had to face at the time. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different, right? Like 
So I don't know how we can truly compare any of these other coaches to what Lincoln Riley is going to be dealt, his the hand that he's dealt with in, in this upcoming season. But if anything is the closest for me, it's probably Brian Kelly and Notre Dame. Yeah, I agree with you that Brian Kelly and Nick Saban are the best examples. What I like the Nick Saban, uh, sorry, m- more accurately, it's the Alabama example. Because Mike Shula had had a 10 and 2 season and but the the majority like he was he had a 10 and 2 season but he wasn't a 10 and 2 coach, right? Where right. Clay that's, Hilton, that's, a, that's a good way of putting Clay it. Clay Hilton had a 10 and 10 and 2 or 10 and 3 season. He had an 11 and 2 season. He had an 11 and 2 season, but he wasn't 11 and 2 and, and 2 coach. Like that's the reality of it. So um the program that Nick Saban inherited was not a perennial 10 win program. And in year one, it took him a, a moment to get things right and get things steady. Um, Brian Kelly inherits a program that was a, a, a you know, sick, was a was a 500 program, essentially, with Charlie Weiss um, when push came to shove towards the end of his of his uh, of his tenure. So he inherits that roster and is able to go eight and five with it. Uh, I think it's easier for Brian Kelly to go eight and five with that Notre Dame team independent than Nick Saban to go seven and six with that Alabama team in the SEC, to be fair. In what point? Because of the schedule? Yeah, because I think there were more stronger teams in the SEC in 2007 than what Brian Kelly had to face with Notre Dame in 2010. Am am I incorrect there? So I don't think you're wrong on this in this particular case. 2010 Notre Dame um, only played two ranked teams. Uh, Stanford and Utah, they went one and one. Um, but I think on usually, I think tit for tat, Notre Dame's schedule is not not dissimilar to an SEC schedule in terms of strength because they're going to be facing so many big teams. Yeah, they face the you know Navy and Air Force and so on, but like they still usually face big brands. Michigan, Michigan State were not ranked teams when they played them that year. Yeah, let's see. Alabama played um, ranked Arkansas, ranked Georgia, ranked Tennessee. They lost to number three LSU, uh, and then they lost to twenty number 25 Auburn. So, I don't know. And they played Florida State. That They lost to Florida State. Well, I, I just pulled up the... Uh, Michigan State that Notre Dame lost to in overtime. Uh, they in 2010 they did end up going to win the uh, Big Ten coach coach champs in the Big Ten. They just weren't ranked when when yeah, when they played when they played. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a little bit of a side sidebar in any case. But the point is that year one, even with an elite coach, unless they're inheriting an elite program which is what Lincoln Riley inherited with Bob Stoops. And he goes, you know, he, he, he wins 11 games, I think, that year. Urban Meyer, to me, he inherited Jim Tressel's program, not Luke Fickle's. And he immediately is able to go 12-0. So I think the expectation on paper, straight up, uh, should be that sort of range of 7-8 wins, Right. Now, when you factor in the transfer portal, I think you are free to add a couple of wins to the equation. When you get Travis Dye, when you get Jordan Addison, when you get help at, at key positions like Romello Height 
and Shane Lee for the defense, uh, I do think that that absolutely raises the bar for year one expectations for Lincoln Riley. The question continues to come back to, is a year one expectation of winning the Pac-12, like, is the season successful if if Lincoln Riley wins the Pac-12? I think abso-frickin-lutely. Lincoln Riley wins the Pac-12 in year one. He is ahead of schedule, as far as I'm concerned, even with all of those transfers in. I don't know that anyone has tried to do with a college football roster what Lincoln Riley is endeavoring to do this year with USC. Um, the closest thing you could argue is Mel Tucker's Michigan State. And Mel Tucker had fewer transfers, and he also had the COVID year in between, if I remember correctly. I think the closest thing in terms of sheer turnover, this is going to sound absolutely insane, but hear me out. Is it Bill O'Brien at Penn State? Um, just tra- talking sheer, like, the is roster even- from year to year. Does that even count, though? Because I don't think it counts. Like, it's completely different. And obviously, it, it's a different situation. He was and, in an impossible situation. Yes, like, but, but in terms of like roster turnover, yeah. that's what we're talking about for yeah. USC this year. Like The roster turnover is so big that I think it's foolish. to like We talked about it before. Where, what should you expect SC to the number of games? And I, I said, if anything, like nine. But like even then, I don't like putting a number on this. Because no, I agree. realistic expectations of what do you think should be a successful season for USC should be sheerly based on the eye test. Do they look better? Are they more competitive? And, and judge on that. Looking, you know, you look at these historical seasons, seven and six Alabama in, tw- in 2007 it looks significantly better than the year before when they went six and seven under Mike Shula. And that was the same for the Bob Stoops team. It went seven and five and 99 compared to the Blake team before that. And and the, the Brian Kelly team compared to the Charlie Weiss team before him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I test. I think you're absolutely right on this. And, and I stupidly on Twitter, I need to go correct that. I forgot that the PAC 12 is getting rid of the divisions. This, I think it starts this season. Apparently. Where it's just the I mean, top two. I mean, it's easy to forget the Pac-12. I mean, well, like, yeah. who cares forget, about forget these like, the lowly conferences anymore, right? <laughs> But, like, it's even harder to make, because I was fine with going on, just win the Pac-12 South, do your first step, that's the, the thing you needed to do, and maybe it's now punch a ticket to the to the Pac-12 title game is the... Is the uh, it's semantics. Though. It's semantics, let's, let's yeah. It's all semantics. But the, the bigger point here is 6-6 six and six Pete Carroll was six and six, but that wasn't a six and six season, like in 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 hard numbers, right? USC came out of that season feeling very good about the direction of the program. That's all I need from Lincoln Riley. Make me feel good about the direction of the program. So yes. if that looks like eight and four, but it's a four with those like I'll take eight and four where those four losses are by a collective 12 points, sure, then yeah. then telling me that it's, you know, nine and three, but all three of those losses are blowouts and most of the wins are questionable even against the bad teams. If it's eight and four and the the losses are games where you're like, man, if the defense just had one more year under, under yeah. Alex Grinch, they make one more stop. Or you can tell that the roster just isn't there on defense or whatever. 
that's a completely different scenario. Then you're like, yeah, I can, I can see this. I can project it forward. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. The other thing for me is like why I reject the idea of putting a, a, you know, ten. It has to be ten wins. Look back at USC over the last decade, decade plus, really since Pete Carroll left, last fifteen years. How many seasons has SC won ten games? Like maybe like four. Four times, probably. and all, and those, and that season under Clay head. Hilton was miserable. And how many of those seasons have been utterly miserable to people? Yeah, yeah. twenty seventeen like, like, USC won eleven games, and no one had fun during it. No, and people didn't like that team, even though it had Sam Darnold on it. People did not enjoy that team, and so like the, that's why I I think it's kind of ridiculous to put these numbers on these things, right? Because Clay Helton showed us, literally, the Clay Helton era showed us that the like you shouldn't judge USC by the wins and losses mm-hmm. because there were wins that were not good and there were losses that were not good and and vice versa. I mean, you know, you you look at games last year and there were games that they lost where you're like, yeah, but they kind of fought in this one, and there were games that they lost and you're like, man, this was utterly terrible, right? Like, yeah, that's just. That, that, that's how football is, but I think more than ever, it's going to be how this is going to be in year one. And my real, like, long-term projection is that's, I think, how college football is going to go for the most part. Like, once you get to super conferences, yes, every game is going to matter, and, and you still have to win those things because this is college football and it's not completely the NFL. But at the end of the day... If their super conferences going nine and three will not eliminate you from winning a national championship, so going a good nine and three, an eye test nine and three, nine yeah. and three, yeah, nine and three is that what you're I did? Say? I literally did. Yep. Oh my god, you've been talking to the dog that much. Apparently, <laughs> no, baby but, voice. But no, and, and that's not dumbing it down. It's, yeah, th- this is this is me saying that like the important thing is to be competitive and to look good and to improve yourself. Don't look at the record and think just the record right now. Yeah. J- just be good and, and and look at yourself and and how good can SC be year one? And given, I don't know, just given sc- the roster turnover, I think the range is like enormous of what this team can do. Uh, and that's going to make it fascinating to see how everything comes to, to be. But don't use that. Don't use like these these archaic, um, you know, Measuring standards sticks, yeah. and measurements. Um because that range exists here, one. Hey, I will take just scoring a couple touchdowns in the third quarter every few games, and that will just make me happy. Like, I bet a red zone conversion. A red zone conversion would just be very, very exciting to see. Um, you know, w- w- just anything like that, uh, I'll take it. Yeah. Mm. Times will truly be different at that point. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. We got an email I want to get to from John. You've got mail. All right, this comes from John in Oakland. Hi, Alicia and Michael. I think people are overreacting to USC's move to the Big Ten and scheduling headaches for away football games. It is in the conferences, and more importantly, its media partners' best interest to schedule games that maximize viewership and interest. Scheduling USC to play Rutgers at home with the noon Eastern time kickoff would make no sense. They would want an Eastern time zone afternoon or early evening kickoff to put more eyeballs on the game. 
it's one thing for a Big Ten school to have a non-conference matchup against a West Coast team an hour early out West, but completely different when you're in the same conference looking to maximize conference visibility. With respect to the other teams at USC, the Big Ten and USC will will work to minimize travel and time zone issues. For starters, USC teams will probably no longer fly commercial airlines like Southwest or Delta. I expect USC will use a couple million out of added tens of millions of dollars it's getting just to lease and charter airplanes for team travel in all of its sports. Also, I think it's kind of a nice recruiting tool to have a leased airplane painted in USC colors and logo sitting at LAX. What college baseball player, tennis player, women's rowing team member would not want to travel in a private game, private plane to games? Thoughts? Fight on John and Oakland. Yeah, I I think I tend to agree with John on this one in that, yes, the there will be scheduling headaches. I think on football, on the football side of things, the Big Ten does protect its bigger brands and USC will be one of its bigger brands. I don't think they're going to screw over USC in the way that it felt like the Pac-12 was perfectly fine to do uh, with scheduling at times. Um, in in the interest of, of fairness, the Pac-12 would screw its brands. Um, and I don't think the Big Ten looks at things that way from a football perspective. I think the the issue is that the other kinds of sports are just so much less regularized in terms of when they play. Like it's, I think it's easy for the sports that play once a week. I think you can work with that. Absolutely. Where I think it gets really tough is like baseball. I don't know logistically how they're going to work out baseball because they play, you know, multiple games in, in, in a row across, across the whole week, like days and days of, of just games back to back. So I don't know how you do that and also set athletes up to succeed in terms of the classroom. The nice thing is that we are just coming out of a pandemic where people were forced to learn remotely. So maybe that's maybe lessons that we've learned from remote learning can make sure that these the, the, the student athletes in those sports are able to keep up with things and, and not get shortchanged on that. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, like, like John said, when you're getting potentially a hundred million dollars a year, uh, in added revenue from these, uh, from, from the new TV deal that's going to be coming up. Yeah. Maybe you can afford to just pay for, pay for that extra little bit of, of being able to charter planes. Like that, that's, that's the big question is, will they spend that money on, I think they'll spend it on basketball and football. Will they spend it on, you know, the women's golf team? Will they spend it on rowing? I, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's harder to say. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think as cool as John's suggestion would be to get a plane and paint it in cardinal and gold and have it sitting at LAX, I don't know that that's viable. I think, I think the more realistic thing is still getting some sort of deal with either like one of the private companies like Atlantic or something like that. Or, um, or you know, one of the named sponsors like United, which is as a CEO that went to SC, um, have them charter all the teams. I think that would sort of make sense where you don't have a specific plane, but maybe a service. I think that would help. Um, but to go back to the original point, I, I think that I think John's got an amazing point here. 
it's less about Essie fitting into the other the other time slots. And I think this is going to be the Big Ten's opportunity to move their games throughout the day when they have SC and UCLA. And if it expands and there's more teams as well, that inclu- that means that their games don't just have to be at 9 a.m. and noon our time. That means that they can be throughout the day. The, the whole reason why ESPN loved the Pac-12 After Dark thing and why the Pac-12 played games at, at 7.30 Pacific um, is because there was no other conference that could. Like, literally no other major conference could play games that late. The, the If Texas kicked off in Austin at, at 7.30 Pacific, that'd be 9.30 you know, p.m. in Austin. That's not viable. The, the Pac-12 was the only 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 conference that could do that that is that was still a major conference unlike the mountain west right so that's why that game made more money than the noon time slot because there's value there in in the time zone even if people hated that because the idea that oh oh no a sports writer from the east coast is not going to be able to to watch the game the reality is like that time zone existed so you could have a monopoly and that monopoly exists for a reason. And I think the Big Ten is going to be, it, it would behoove the Big Ten to not necessarily play games at 1030 because you don't want, 1030 Eastern, because you don't want the reverse of it. You don't want Rutgers playing that 1030 Eastern game, uh, which is just as bad as the 9 a.m. game. But no, it allows the Big Ten to play games later on in the day. Flexibility. Uh, and flexibility. And potentially, if you're Fox, you love this because, ooh, now can I have a triple header of Big Ten games? Hey, why not? Can I have can I have Big Ten games at at nine a.m. at twelve and at four thirty? Yeah, I don't. I mean, like you could. Yeah, and and yeah, and if I'm if I'm USC, I go to the Big Ten and say like we're just not playing nine a.m. games. Like we're yeah. not playing nine a.m. Pacific games. Work it out. Yeah, and, and, and there's there's, and, o- there's only so many teams. Uh, in the Big Ten that would play night games as it was, right? Like, a lot of those stadiums didn't, didn't have, have lights. Yeah, which is crazy. Like, you look up some of those stadiums and find out when they actually put in lights. It's madness. It's insanity, like how long it took Notre Dame to get lights. So- I, 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 I want to say Michigan doesn't have lights, so they have to, like, rent them for night <laughs> Yeah, give them a... I, I might be wrong in that, but, like, th- that's, like, those things exist, right? Like... So yes, there's night games in the Big Ten, but they're they're not nearly as possible as frequent as they used to be, and this just gives the Big Ten two more teams that they could do night games with. They wouldn't have to be logistical nightmares, maybe like they would be to the other teams. Yeah, if I if I'm the Big Ten, I basically want uh, want USC and UCLA playing later than earlier. As, right. as you said, just and, to and take advantage of is, that. Is twelve thirty or four thirty or five for us? Yeah, which is good. Yeah, exactly. So it's not going to be. Those are the ideal times that people want. Yeah, those are the times that they, that people want. Like we always say, this you know, Pac twelve fans bitch about the the seven thirty kickoff, but like primetime games on the Eastern Seaboard, like in the Midwest, they they kick off at eight. So like, right. you know, the the it's a bit a bit different there. But I don't know. I I just think. I think there's so many unknowns here. I think there will be there will be things that suck for certain, you know, people, but there will be net good 
hopefully net positive. Maybe it'll be net negative. We don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. When the money is that good, you figure out if you can do net negative. (laughs) Yeah. I I think everything will end up being a net positive. Uh, And I hope one of those net positives is us transitioning to video podcasts as we are next week. Yay. Yeah. Our next episode will be recorded live on the YouTube. Yeah. I mean, and look at us. So we've been recording for, for... Almost an hour. We're sort of in our hour window, which is, uh, is that's pretty good for us. Well, so now that we record while you're in the middle of, of your day job, and so you get like a one hour block to record a uh, little inside baseball, um, we've been going over that. But uh, with the with the video stuff, it's going to be pretty much a hard one hour. And so... Uh, it's, it's, probably, it's probably a good thing. We could probably get away with like an hour and a half. I miss those episodes that were like two hours. The, I love a good two and a half hour episode. Not going to lie. I Also, I, I've never understood when people are like, I don't like listening to a podcast. It's two hours. Oh, give like, me all the two my, hour podcasts. If it's my favorite podcast, give me the longest episode you freaking have. Mm-hmm. So the people, I know there's people who love long episodes that listen to us. Trust me. I wish every episode was like an hour and 45. Yep. I'm with you. I'm with you, but, uh, you know, got to pay the bills. Yep. All right. Well, we will be back next week, Monday, 5 p.m. Pacific time uh, for Monday night podcasts. And we'll still have the regular podcast show up in your podcast feed as normal. It'll it'll be after... Yeah, it'll be sometime uh, after then. Yeah, after the the live recording, but you can watch it on you can watch the show now on YouTube after the live recording is done immediately. So if you aren't available at five to catch it right then, you come you know get home at seven o'clock or whatever. You can pull it up on YouTube to to listen to it. Um, we don't know how quick the turnaround on the audio episode into the podcast feed is going to be uh, because it's, it's sort of a new new. Uh, it'll be. Fairly quick. It'll be quick? Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't be too long. Get that instant gratification if you watch the YouTube. This is true. Also, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube. Yeah. Hit the link in the show notes. Subscribe, and we'll see you next week. See ya. All right. See ya. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.